The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something special. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You know, there's no sort of check the boxes kind of quote unquote career development or anything like that that exists in the creative life. And I think sometimes people think that there is and that they're not doing it right and is no right. Greetings, scribes, and welcome back to The Writer Files. I am still your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you positivity, productivity, and creative flourishing in 2021. This week, award-winning New York Times bestselling author Danny Shapiro chatted with me about the Groundhog's Day effect of the pandemic, the transition from fiction to memoir, and the hidden power of family secrets. Danny is the author of 10 books, including the instant New York Times bestselling memoir, Inheritance, published in 2019. Her other books include memoirs, Hourglass, Still Writing, Devotion, and Slow Motion, as well as five novels. Inheritance won the 2019 National Jewish Book Award, was named one of Wired's top science books of 2019, and a best book of 2019 by Vanity Fair. The New Yorker called Inheritance a meditation on what it means to live in a time when secrecy, anonymity, and mystery are vanishing. Danny has taught at Columbia and New York University, is the co-founder of the Siren Land Writers Conference in Positano, Italy, and teaches writing workshops around the world. In early 2019, Danny also launched an original podcast, Family Secrets, in collaboration with iHeartMedia. The 19's Top 10 podcast, the series features stories from guests who, like Danny, have uncovered life-altering and long-hidden secrets from their family's past. And stay tuned for a special offer from this week's sponsor, Neuro. In this file, Danny and I discussed how to change the rhythm of your day to spark creativity, her mentors and awakening to her writing voice, learning to write in public, and find an agent along the way. On throwing out hundreds of pages, the power of storytelling in the aftermath of family trauma, and much more. Stay safe and stay sane out there. A new day is dawning. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. All right, we're back on The Writer Files. I am honored to be joined by the peerless Danny Shapiro. Thanks for taking time to do this today. Oh, thanks, Kelton. It's it's a pleasure to be with you. (laughs) How are you surviving uh, these bizarro and... uh, somewhat catastrophic times. Yeah. I mean, it obviously there's so much trembling in the world right now, but in terms of the pandemic, I find it's bizarrely 
um, you know, that it hasn't really, well, I was going to say it hasn't really changed my rhythms as a writer, but that's not really true because I was in the midst of a really long book tour involving a huge amount of travel uh, right up until, you know, when COVID uh, got to the U.S. And um, of course, like everybody else, everything was canceled. So I went from like having so much more travel left to do for my most recent book, uh, including international travel that I was really psyched about. I was going to go on a I was going to Paris on book tour for oh, the French edition. And I've never done that before. And I was so excited about that. And then I was supposed to go to the Sydney Writers Festival. Super excited oh, about that. That's although, so cool. yeah. although daunting too. I mean, it was so much travel that when it all got canceled, even though I was disappointed, it's also my natural habitat. I wonder if you or you know, other writers would identify with that. Like I, I'm, I have the muscles for solitude, which mm. a lot of people you know, don't necessarily have because they haven't had to exercise them. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And as so many authors, um, discussed during this very interesting time in history, um, yeah, you have the, you have the ability obviously to, to be, um, in isolation. And obviously we, we, you know, solitude is just part and parcel with the creative process, but, um, yeah, I mean, so many authors I talk to right now are in the middle or in the midst of, you know, like virtual book tours, which is a completely different mm-hmm. kind of weird anomaly um, of these times. Yeah. I mean, I, my, the remainder of my book tour definitely did morph into virtual events, which I'm still doing. And those are very strange. Um, I think in large part because so much of being uh, with readers is that sort of exchange of energy, you know, be, reading in front of a crowd or, or, or speaking or being in conversation or being on a panel. There's such a great, beautiful exchange of energy that happens. And it, you just don't feel it when you're on Zoom or, you know, on a, doing a virtual appearance. It's, yeah. um, it can be really pretty strange and, and unmooring. But the other thing I want to say, because I don't want anybody, like, I, yes, the isolation I'm familiar with and and I don't mind uh, I, and I and the solitude is you know kind of just a prerequisite for you know a creative life in many ways but I have had a really hard time uh writing um since the start of the pandemic I mean hmm. I, I I can do I can do projects if I have an assignment to write an essay I will I will I will write the essay um and and it, and I don't think it's affected my work, but I think it's affected my concentration. So that starting something new in the midst of a, a time when the ground is shifting so much in the world, I have I have found really challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because um, it can't help. I mean, it it's obviously going to bleed into your subconscious a little bit, and then it can throw probably throw off some of those rhythms, but, but then there's that, um, kind of groundhog's day, uh, feeling of this, mm-hmm. this pandemic where it's like, you know, I've heard many writers lament not being able to go to a coffee shop and just totally, you know, sit there and, and, and something about the sound of a coffee shop kind of sparks creative ideas. And totally. I'm such a, I'm such a coffee shop writer and I miss, I miss that so much because it's also just the ability to change 
your rhythm in your day. You know, like if you're stuck to go to a cafe or, um, you know, to, uh, you know, just change, change location or, um, you know, that, that's the thing. And also for, for me, when I'm, when I'm reading something, uh, for work, either because I'm reviewing it or a book of a guest that I'm having on my podcast, I really like to be out doing that. I don't, I, I, I don't prefer to be sitting at home reading. I, I love that din of mm. being around other people and, and to not be able to do that. And the sameness as you describe is, um, I think challenging for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah. Certainly, certainly for me. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Definitely. Um, unnerving at times. Um, and just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Well, let's talk about your superhero origin story a little bit and just wind back the clock and just take us back because as a, you know, you, you, I guess you've written 10 books now or published 10 books. You're an award-winning author, best-selling memoirist, um, an inheritance, um, you know, with an instant New York Times bestseller. T take us back to kind of um, your, your journey here because, you know, obviously you've done a lot of different things. You've taught, you've had all kinds of uh, different creative experiences. Tell us a little bit about just kind of about that journey in a nutshell. Mm, yeah, I, I, I love talking about the journey because I, every writer's journey is different. And, you know, there's just, there's no, you know, there's no sort of check the boxes kind of quote unquote career development or anything like that that exists in the creative life. And I think sometimes people think that there is and that they're not doing it right and is no right. You know, I, I have a, a writer's conference that I founded and created with my husband and also with uh, our partner and friend, Hannah Tinti, the editor of One Story, uh, that meets every year in Italy. And on the opening night, of, not the opening night, but early in the conference, it's a week-long conference called Siren Land, we have everyone who's teaching there get up and tell their origin story, mm. essentially. Mm -hmm. And over the years, it's one of my favorite evenings at the conference because whether it's Meg Wallitzer or Anthony Doerr or uh, Jess Walter or... Uh, Andre Asiman or Andre Debus or Susan Orlean or, you know, it goes on. Um, every story is different. Every single, Tobias Wolf, you know, every single story is different. And even year to year when some people return to teach, the story changes. So mm -hmm. anyway, as, as a preamble <laughs> to that, so I, I grew up uh, in suburban New Jersey in um, in a world where I did not know any writers. I didn't know it was possible to become a writer. I didn't know any artists. Um, and when I went to college, I 
was fortunate enough to stumble into uh, the the right school for me, which was Sarah Lawrence, uh, which is a small liberal arts school, you know, just north of New York City, that had a lot of writers teaching there, partly because of its history, mm-hmm. um, and partly because it was within commuting distance of the city. So when I first got there, I started meeting working writers for the first time. Grace Paley was teaching there. Uh, Russell Banks had just taught there. Mm. E.L. Doctorow had taught there. Um, There were all sorts of just amazing, you know, like, you know, to this day, Marie Howe teaches there, Victoria Riddell, Mary Morris, and um, Joanne Beard. And so it was this um, eye-opening experience, not in the sense that I thought, oh, I... um, I can be a writer, but just I realized that a writing life was possible for, hmm. for, for, for some people, and I was meeting them. And, and then when I was um, like sort of well into uh, college and I had left for a while and come back, I was very, I had a kind of peripatetic college experience. <laughs> um, I, had a, I had a crisis, a tragedy really in, in my family where, in which my parents were in a very serious car crash that killed my father um, and badly injured my mother. And um, something happened to me around that time and the loss of my, my dad and grieving him. I had been writing, but I hadn't, I, like I hadn't found my way. I'd been writing short stories. I hadn't found my way into a story that wouldn't let me go in a way. And, and even though I wasn't remotely ready to write uh, the story of my, my family and my parents' accident and what it did to me, because I was a very kind of messed up young woman at the time, and it kind of woke me up in, in a huge way. And I wanted to be able to find a way to write about that in, in fiction. Mm-hmm. I wanted to find a way to, and, and, and so when I went back to Sarah Lawrence after my father's death and while my mother was recovering, I started writing my first novel. Um, and well, and I should say, actually, I was there my senior year. And then it was Grace Paley who said to me, you know, you are a writer. There is the door to the graduate writing program. Go through it. Hmm. And I, you know, literally walked through the door and um, ended up at Sarah Lawrence in graduate school in the MFA program. And I remember that first semester in the MFA program, one of my professors was frustrated with me and I was frustrated with myself because I basically kept on writing the same version of a short story over and over again. And she wrote, you know, and <laughs> as a professor, professor myself, I understand how hugely impactful these things can be that we don't even realize are impactful in the moment that we say, and she wrote in the, the margin of this story, I think it's on to the novel. <laughs> and I was like, what? You know, it was so scary to me, the, the, the thought of embarking on a novel while in graduate school. Um, you know, I think there's, there's a reason why so few, you know, so many more story collections come out of MFA programs than novels. Right. Because to be in your first semester or your second semester and think, I'm going to put all of my eggs in this basket. And Mm. if I fail, it's not like one story out of eight that I wrote didn't work or two or four. The whole thing, you know, is for naught. And so a lot of people 
just don't do it. It's too scary. And also, I think a lot of professors don't really know how to teach, how to workshop the novel. Mm -hmm. Again, as I mentioned, this week's episode is sponsored by Neuro. Neuro makes functional gum and mints that help you better your mind and do more. Launched by athletes with backgrounds in neuroscience and chemistry, imagine health supplements you could easily carry around in your pocket and take on the go throughout the day instead of having to gulp down a bunch of pills in the morning. The great thing is these patented cold compressed gum and mints are gluten-free, sugar-free, vegan, and work a lot faster than drinks and supplements. They're loved by Olympians, engineers, academics, fitness heads, and creatives like you and me stuck at home staring at the screen. The energy and focus products have been shown to improve brain performance in a pilot study out of the Harvard Innovation Lab. And the new Calm and Clarity line uses ingredients scientifically shown to reduce stress and stabilize mood. Because they're gum and mints, they're easy to carry, taste great, and give you fresh breath. I honestly love them because they take the stress out of having to brew or find that cup of coffee or tea during the lull in the day that we could all use a boost and a little easier on the wallet. Head over to getneuro.com to order and better your state of mind now. That's G-E-T-N-E-U-R-O.com. Getneuro.com. Use the code WRITER to get 15% off your first order today. But I, I did. I, I, I went on to the novel and, and I, I had it in my head because again, as I said, I was really, I had, had, had been in this really messed up, lost place in my life when my dad died. I had it in my head that I was going to write that novel and I was going to sell that novel before I graduated. Hmm. Like I, had, I, had a lot, I had a lot to prove to myself. This is not, I don't recommend to anyone that they think the way that I did, but that's how I thought. <laughs> and, and that's what happened, which is... Wow a highly unusual thing. My, one of my professors, um, a wonderful writer and teacher named Jerome Badanis, uh, was his girlfriend, uh, who later became his wife was an editor, uh, at crown and Jerry gave it to her to read. I didn't know he was doing that. And she read it and she loved it and she wanted to buy it. And she, instead of just trying to buy it, she said, you should get a literary agent. And so I, knew nothing about agents. And a friend of mine who was reading a magazine at the time saw a picture of a few literary agents in this article about, you know, big agencies, the players and big agencies moving around. And based on the photograph, she said to me, this woman looks like she will understand your work. She looks like she's been in psychoanalysis. She will understand (laughs) your work. So based on that really careful research that I did (laughs) and self-education, I picked up the phone and called this woman. I mean, I did everything wrong. Um, (laughs) And and she was a very powerful, very scary person. Um, And her assistant put me through to her. I think it helped that I said, you know, I'm in this MFA program and I have interest in my novel, you know, from a publisher. And I told her about it. I just kind of sputtered out whatever I said. And she said, I'll take a look at it. And I was living in New York city at the time. I walked it down to her office and left it there. That's amazing. And she called me the next day and she had read it overnight. And she said, can you come in, you know, tomorrow at three o'clock or whatever it was. I know. 
And I did. And she said, I think I can sell your book. And she did. Um, and not to Crown, actually, to Doubleday. And so that was the beginning of my writing life. But the thing that I really want to say is that that book wasn't ready. Mm. It, I, it wasn't ready. I was impatient. I was rushing. I had a lot to prove. And, you know, some people like that book. And it got perfectly respectable reviews when it came out. But I, it wasn't ready. It was a kind of semi-autobiographical novel. I, you know, I, I was not remotely in control of it. And I went on to publish two more novels uh, after that first novel, you know, over the span of the next six or seven years. And it really wasn't until, and those first three books, a lot of people don't even know about because they're out of print and I have no interest in them being back in print. I, I don't, you know, they're, it, I was learning how to write in public. Hmm. Um, and it wasn't until my first memoir, Slow Motion, which came out in 1998, that I started to actually uh, kind of wrest control uh, to, to whatever degree a writer ever has control, really, over my material. And the reason why I wrote a memoir wasn't because, oh, I thought it's a good idea to write a memoir or memoirs are suddenly... Hot. I've never had that kind of thought in my life as a writer. It was because I became aware that in those first three novels that I was, I mean, the image that I always have of this is, you know, when you see somebody walking, walking their dog, but their dog is walking them, you know, like <laughs> uh -huh. my novels were walking me. Like mm. I, I never found, and I think that's fine in a first draft that should happen, but I didn't know how to, um, how to pull back and how to get my not how to get the work to heal, you know, mm. and um, and I thought I had a hunch that the reason was that my own autobiographical material I needed to find a way to craft it as um, as memoir um, that it didn't it didn't want to be fictionalized it wanted to be um, you know, written out of memory. Um, and, and that's what I did. And that's actually the book that really got significant attention, uh, for the first time. And then, and then I went back to fiction and I wrote two more novels, uh, my novel, uh, family history and my novel black and white. Um, I moved to Knopf as my publisher who are my publisher, um, still today. And, and they were much stronger novels. They were the first kind of mature novels, if, if I can be any kind of judge of my own work. <laughs> and, 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 and then after that, I was expecting to continue to write fiction. And instead, I, my creative impulses moved back to memoir. And I didn't want them to. I mean, I remember... You know, I, I wait between books. I wait despairingly thinking now the next one will never arrive. I always feel that way. Hmm. I feel that way after 10 books. I always feel like, well, maybe that's it. And it's despair. You know, it's a feeling of just finding a way to be patient, but really feeling quietly despairing. And in that despair, what emerged was another memoir. And I remember, can I curse on your show? Oh, of course. <laughs> but, yeah. So I remember, 
I was doing, I, I was practicing yoga one day and the word devotion literally just kind of, I saw the word devotion in front of me hmm. and I knew what it meant. That's never happened to me before, but I knew that it was the title of my next book and I knew that that meant it was a memoir and I knew that it was a kind of existential, spiritual sort of quest kind of book. And all, I, I mean, I said aloud, I was like, oh shit, <laughs> I, this is not what I want to do. Um, <laughs> but it, but it's what, it's what wanted to be done. And, hmm. and so I wrote, I wrote devotion and then I expected to return to fiction. And, and actually I did, you know, you said 10 books that I've published. Yeah. There was about a hundred pages of novel after devotion uh, in which though I loved the characters, I had kind of written myself into a corner and I put it in a drawer. Um, it may come out of that drawer, but it's been in the drawer for 10 years. Hmm. Um, and, and then I, I, I wrote a, a, a craft and process book called Still Writing. It's like a little companion to creative people is the way that I thought of it. Uh, and then, um, and then I wrote, um, Hourglass, my, my, my memoir about time and marriage and memory. Hmm. And, and then I made this, um, wholly accidental and huge discovery uh, that led to my most recent book, Inheritance. But it was so instructive. I mean, what I, I found out through doing a DNA test that my my dad, who raised me, had not been my biological father. And that after a lifetime of writing about secrecy, writing about secrets, writing about identity, writing about belonging and not belonging, you know, never really knowing why. And I always would have said, you know, when we talk about our themes that writers need to be like a little blind or willfully blind to our own themes. Like I, I would say, you know, it's like looking under the hood of the car, you know, it's just your themes, right. are your themes. it's just, that's your patch of land. Right. And all of a sudden I realized like my patch of land had long been family and the corrosive power of secrets and what secrets do to us. And I realized that I was the secret. I had been the secret in my family. Um, yeah. It was such a shocking uh, re-understanding of my entire history. And, and I started researching and reporting and writing and thinking and trying to piece together this, literally the story of like how I came to be. Right. So you're, so you're writing a genealogical mystery um, from the viewpoint of, uh, almost like, uh, you know, you're, you're investigating your own <laughs> crime, you know, a crime has been done to you years later. Um, but it's fascinating stuff. And of course it led you on an, an, a really, um, kind of a thrilling, thrilling, a thrill ride of a journey. But, but, uh, you know, at this point, yeah, given that you kind of know your beat now, um, as a memoirist and as a nonfiction writer and this, this inheritance, um, memoir was so well received and obviously it was kind of very personal to you, but yeah, talk about like where you go from here and how you, how you kind of, uh, mm. how you yeah. rectify, you know, what, everything that you've been through up to now and now what's, what's the next piece? Yeah, it's, that's, that continues to be really interesting because there's a few pieces to it, right? Like the fact that my 10th book has become 
by far and away the you know by far and away the most successful of my books and and actually my ninth book hourglass was also quite uh successful in terms of both its critical reception and 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 how it sold so i've had a really unusual trajectory as a writer i don't think that that could happen today in today's publishing world i mean mm-hmm. it's a much less forgiving world where you know, you write a couple of books that don't get any traction, you know, it's really hard to get people to pay attention, it's, which is terrible. Um, it's awful, but it's, but it's true. And I, you know, have had this kind of slow, steady build, and then suddenly this kind of explosion that also was a very intense experience because inheritance has meant a lot to a lot of people. And I did a huge amount of traveling for it. I think I, I think I had been to like 40 cities or something on tour before uh, COVID shut us down. Mm. And I had never had the experience before of walking into um, a venue, a bookstore, a auditorium, a library, and seeing wall-to-wall people Mm. like nothing like that had ever happened to me before and it was thrilling i'm very grateful it wasn't my first book (laughs) i i know people for whom i I have friends who have had like you know uber successful first books and then they think that that's the way it's always going to be um i know that that's not the way it's ever been or it's always going to be um but i've also had to kind of um shed all that. And the pandemic has been a really interesting time of that kind of shedding for me. I mean, I'm still, I'm still talking about inheritance and I'll talk about it as long as people want to talk about it because there's so many people making discoveries of different kinds of family secrets that, um, that my book has meant a lot to. And I, I care about that. It feels like an incredible sort of purpose in, in this, in this particular story that I'm the steward of. Um, but when it comes when it comes to what's next, for a while I found myself really thinking, well, like the 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 uh, self consciousness started settling in, and I thought, well, I have to I have to write another nonfiction book. Look at this incredible audience that has all come to me because of inheritance. I need. I mean, for the first time in a lifetime of not thinking um, about the not thinking strategically ever about what's next, building a writing life organically, I found myself thinking strategically. And guess what? It doesn't work. <laughs> it leads to pale imitations of the thing that came before. Everything I started to write felt like it was um, a pale imitation, no matter what. I, I, I've thrown away hundreds of pages um, in the last six months. And that's fine because... I finally have begun to make peace with um, the idea that it's going to take time. Um, I very well may go back to fiction, um, which is not strategically a thing that anybody would suggest, but it may be (laughs) the thing that is what calls me. And there alone is where good work gets made. And, hmm. and I, I, I know that, I know that as a teacher, I know that watching my friends, I know that as a writer myself, um, I know I've written a book that addresses it, 
But when it, when it came to my own process, I really had to go through that. Hmm. Um, well, it's all pretty fascinating. It's been a, a fascinating journey for you. And um, congratulations on the successes. And of course, kind of the natural evolution of that seemed to be this podcast, which had such a, um, a fantastic reception. Of course, the podcast that I'm talking about is Family Secrets, which has just kind of um, risen to the top of the charts and it's in its fourth season now. Is that right? Uh, it is. Yes. It's yeah. midway through its fourth season. Yeah. yeah. Congrats on that. And it's interesting Thank to you. me just given talking to you now and, and kind of how um, nat natural you are kind of on the microphone um, that it translated to this pretty, pretty uh, moving uh, podcast where, you know, really, you, really you are getting others to share these um these pretty personal secrets and family secrets. And um, what's that like for you as, a, as an author? I mean, it's, it's obviously some ripe, you know, grounds for, for mm. spinning off into fiction stuff, but um, some of it's just so, it's very real. It's very uh, cathartic at times, right? But what's it like for mm -hmm. you looking at it from the other side and kind of being the, I don't know, the, you're almost like, there is that kind of, um, I want to say a uh, confessional quality to, to the audio, you know, the warmth. Mm. I'm sure, I'm sure that if you're recording it now, you're probably doing it mostly remotely, but what's that like for you? I was mostly, I mostly have recorded not in person um, with my guest in another studio mm -hmm. and me in a studio. Now I'm in my basement and my guest is in their basement or their closet or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I actually, I, I, I love the intimate quality of, I feel like the conversations are so powerful and I feel, I don't, they don't feel confessional to me. They feel, um, I, I feel very uh, responsible for this, for holding, containing and shaping the stories mm -hmm. of the people, of the people who come on the show. Many of them are writers. Most of them are writers um, because that's who, that's who comes to me. And, and often people, I don't want to have someone on the show who's completely raw in the discovery of their secret. You know, mm -hmm. I, 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 I want, because what I'm really interested in is as much the storytelling of discovering the secret as the aftermath of the secret, you know, like what, what is it, what does it change um, so many people when they've had a secret kept from them and discover it after they go through whatever initial, you know, speed bumps they go through emotionally, or I should say we, cause this is true of me too, get to a place of, um, of feeling, uh, pretty liberated, um, yeah. by knowing, by knowing the truth, because the truth was always there lurking and kind of misshapen and toxic and, you know, kind of creating this feeling of like something doesn't make sense. And, and, and the other thing about the podcast is the whole thing. I mean, to go back to the idea of like organic storytelling or, you know, the podcast did really explode when it, when it started, because I think uh, so many of us have family secrets or mm -hmm. have, you know, the, the fascination with them. Um, but that the idea for it came out of the fact that people just started telling me their stories. You know, 
that I was, I suddenly people were hearing, this was before inheritance came out, but you know, people in my life were hearing what the story was, you know, and they would start telling me their own stories. And I just found myself thinking, wow, these are amazing stories. I would love for people to hear them, which is how the whole thing, it was, it was just such a, such a natural evolution Hmm. to the creating of this podcast. And I love doing it because it's a different kind of storytelling. It's, you know, going down to my basement, turning on my recording equipment, (laughs) having an, having an hour or an hour plus conversation with my guest, and then taking that conversation and shaping it into a 35 to 45 minute, you know, episode Mm -hmm. is just, it's very different from, you know, being alone with the page. It's a very different storytelling process. And it's fun to get to do something like that um, at this stage of, yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, you're kind of, uh, again, like a detective and a um, therapist all at once. And on top of that, I mean, I can imagine that you've had some interest in turning that into text or, you know, turning, turning the, uh, the stories themselves into. Um, you know, actually I, I haven't because those stories are, are there, they are, you know, the people, the writers who have been on my podcast, I mean, I'm, I've been so, and, and by the way, just about no one has said no, like just about everyone that I've asked or my producers asked to be on the show has wanted to do it. And uh-huh. it's been, you know, people like, you know, KSA Lehman and, Adrian Brodeur and Saeed Jones and I mean just this like amazing Nick Flynn uh, just this mm-hmm. two weeks ago um, Jenny Finney Boylan this week Jennifer Finney Boylan the amazing uh, trans writer and activist I mean uh, they have their own stories and so I, I I don't feel that those are my stories to tell in any way but an in an exciting development um, it the podcast is actually. Uh, being developed as a TV series, mm. but it's going to be a fictional TV series. Oh, interesting! I like that. Yeah, that's um, very cool. News. That's 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 new news, and that'll be another way of exploring another kind of storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, it's all very meta. It's all coming full circle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's so cool. Well, congrats on everything. Um, you have chopped it up with some some incredibly famous authors um, yourself throughout your career. I mean, I could probably ask you what hanging out with Oprah was like, but I won't. Um, uh, Alicia Keys, which, which is very cool. But, uh, okay, a fun question for you. If you could take uh, any author from any era to an all-expense-paid uh, dinner to your favorite spot, post-COVID, of course, um, all-expenses-paid. Who would you take and where would you take them? Mm, I love that question. I'm going to say George Eliot. I was debating between George Eliot and Virginia Woolf, but I think George Eliot <laughs> would be more fun. Okay. Um, and we're talking about a fun dinner. So, um, and <laughs> anywhere... Gosh, this is such a fantasy. I just want to kind of like revel in it for a while. Um, <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> well, yeah. So the place that I've been longing to be back at is the hotel in Italy where we 
do Siren Land every spring, mm. which of course last spring had to be canceled and this spring yeah. is up in the air. But it's a hotel called La Sierra News and they have this restaurant called La Sponda, which uh, overlooks the sea and this magnificent view and yeah. is filled with the most wonderful people and, you know, the, the, the waiters and the maitre d' and the strolling mandolin players, <laughs> you know, all of whom, you know, I've, I've known for the last, um, you know, 13 or 14 years hmm. since we started the conference. So I would like to take George Eliot to Las Bonda and have her serenaded by um, mandolin players. Beautiful, beautiful. That's in Positano? Positano, on the Amalfi Coast. Very yeah. nice. Well, there's some pictures over there at sirenland.net. Listeners um, can connect with Danny at her home base, dannyshapiro.com. Of course, I will link to um, this fantastic memoir, Inheritance, Memoir of Genealogy, Paternity, and Love. And uh, the podcast, Family Secrets, is in fourth season. Before we wrap here, uh, your advice to your fellow scribes on just how to keep their chin up and keep going through this uh, challenging time in history. I would say, first of all, to um, give yourselves a break and understand um, just how challenging a moment in history this is when, you know, current events are, you know, the, feel like they're, they're, they're on the, they're straight from the pages of a dystopian novel, except mm. we're, we're living, we're living them. And I think sometimes in the face of that, it's very hard to feel that, um, that your work matters. And I, I say that as someone who feels that, you know, on a, on a, on a daily basis, I have to, um, you know, talk myself out of that kind of, uh, you know, self-censoring, what difference does it make? What, what can I possibly uh, create in the face of this kind of state? I would urge everybody to read, um, if, if you don't know it, two different texts, and they're both available online. And one is William Faulkner's Nobel acceptance speech from 1950, mm -hmm. which was a very uh, tremulous moment in history that he addresses, and he addresses making art in the face of it. Um, and the other is Emerson's uh, essay on self-reliance. Uh, if you read those two texts and kind of keep them near you and dip in and out of them, uh, I suspect they will help. Mm, I love that. And yes, those are both powerful. Um, great reminders. Thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate your wisdom, your work. Uh, where else do you want to point listeners uh, to connect with you out there? I would say uh, the one social platform that I actually enjoy much of a, much of a surprise to me is Instagram. And mm. I'm just Danny writer on Instagram Nice, and, and love, love to connect with people. Perfect. And a great place to wrap up. Kelton. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on here and uh, wrapping with me. Yeah. Thanks for your great questions. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers out there find us. You can always leave a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.